Hello to you, you ANSI aardvarks. My name is Caroline and I want to welcome you to the very first episode of the Pseudo Intellect Podcast. So a bit about myself. I'm an unremarkable 28-year-old white Irish descent female. I work as a speech and language therapist for the NHS, specialising in neurology. I have many of the same pathologies as everyone else. I'm a chronic procrastinator, much to my dismay. I'm self-deprecating and ego-driven. Well, many of us are, in fact, whether we know it or like to admit it. And it may actually sound counterintuitive, but arguably, many shy people are egotistical because they're often, not always, but usually unwilling to be embarrassed. They avoid putting themselves in situations where embarrassment is a risk. And actually, it's often rooted in their, well, even my overestimation of how much bandwidth you actually take up in other people's minds. And the truth is, you wouldn't worry about how much other people think of you if you realised how seldom they do. Think about it. Think about how much you're thinking about others thinking about you. It's self-indulgent. Actually, many of us are self-indulgent. That person is not thinking about you, or not nearly as much as you anticipate, because they're busy thinking about you, thinking about them. This is actually something I've only come to learn in the past year or so. So this podcast is perhaps a vehicle in order for me to combat the ego within me. Something I read that really resonates with me is we suffer far more in our imagination than we do in reality. Anyway, I digress, and that is likely to happen a lot in this podcast, but hopefully that's what will make it all the more interesting. So my main podcast influences are Sam Harris, The Making Sense Podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show, and The Blind Boy Podcast. So if I'm so bold to be to say that if I get to being a smidgen of a kilometre of a yard to being a hybrid of those, then I'll be happy. But my real life inspiration, however, is actually a good friend of mine, Nikhil Patel, who's here today to engage in the type of conversation that I personally relish. He's my favourite person to do this with, so it's only right that he be in my first episode. I did actually read some advice about starting a podcast and it said to be audacious with your guests. So I think once I introduce him, you'll realise that I took that advice. He's truly the most interesting, hardworking, intelligent person that I have the pleasure of knowing. His credentials are pretty awe-inspiring for a man of mere 29 years. He's a medical doctor, entrepreneur, His area of developing expertise is AI and medicine, so he's not your conventional physician. He's recently started working with the US government's Centre for Disease Control. And he's also founded his own pizza company called Proteinza, with an incredible high-protein, low-carb, patent-pending pizza base. And if that wasn't enough, he actually splits his time between the UK and the US. And that's all whilst being a very kind-hearted, fun kind of normal individual. So, Nikhil, hi. What's the crack? Wow, thanks for that introduction. (laughs) Thanks for agreeing to spend your valuable time. 
So today I'd really like to talk to you about beliefs and how they shape our reality because I think it's one of the most pertinent things that you've ever taught me and you taught me a lot. But understanding the power of beliefs a bit more has caused a massive mindset shift in myself. Even though you might not think it, I know I haven't acted upon it massively yet. I think it's just something that every single person on the planet can benefit from knowing about. So, yeah, imagine that you're telling me about this for the first time. I still think there's more for me to learn. Okay. Well, maybe to start me off, tell, tell me what exactly did you pick up from what we've talked about before? So I know where to, to start off. What we believe determines mm. what we make true. Okay. And let's say we may listen to something like um, a podcast or a YouTube video, let's say by a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. And like in that moment, like transiently, you feel like yeah. really motivated and like your mind has completely changed. Yeah. That's conscious. Yeah. But that's not changing your beliefs because your beliefs tend to be more subconscious. And that's mm-hmm. actually what drives us yeah. more. And your subconscious is comfortable and it's what creates habit. And Mm -hmm. often, well, it's very difficult to change, as we all know. Sure. So, yeah, I think most of our beliefs are formed from quite a young age. I think they say before seven. You'll have essentially a map of the world, is the way I would describe it. Mm -hmm. The map is your belief system of how things work. So that might be the laws of gravity, which we generally agree on. But also it applies to other things like your relationships. Your, and that can just, not just interpersonal relationships, but also your relationships with money and work and uh, happiness, actually, mm. which is really important. What I find interesting, actually, I've learned this recently, is let's say, for example, stop me if I'm wrong, because you know more about this than I, but you have this guy and he has a six pack, okay, and he eats really healthily and he goes to the gym. Mm-hmm. He has, let's say, correct or good if we want for want of a better word beliefs about health and fitness okay but let's say his relationships are in a mess and he's financially poor Mm -hmm. so he might have kind of erroneous beliefs in some aspects of his life and then yeah so mm, if i I take that example actually mm, he could have beliefs in his relationship that he has to look that way to mm -hmm. be able to have any form of love and so he's got a what I would say is an incorrect belief forming lots of good habits in the sense and that he takes care of his physical fitness mm-hmm. and his diet, but the underlying foundational belief is detrimental to him because okay. he believes that he has to be someone else or has to maintain a certain standard, which may or may not be true and there might be some truth to that belief, but not, not an entirely true belief is what I would say. Okay. And also... There can be like generational kind of things as well. Yeah. Some like so there can be kind of good ones and bad ones. Like you say, beliefs are formed often before like the age of seven. Let's say. Yeah, and you you pick up your parents' beliefs. Pick up your parents' most beliefs. Of time, most exactly. of the time. So if you talk about your beliefs about food, people can consciously know lots of things. Know what it is to eat well. Mm-hmm. Know they should sleep, but they can have beliefs which are subconscious and completely undermine them all the time. Like, they might believe that they have to really suffer in life to deserve something good. So they sabotage themselves without even knowing. So that can apply to money, that can apply to love. Like, I mean, that can apply to your, your whole life, even happiness. And there can be beliefs which will be passed on from you and 
not only from your parents to you, but also to your kids. They did a study, I think, in the past. And they said that even when you're conscious about how you raise your kids, you'll generally raise how your parents raised you. Yeah. I think that kind of says a lot about, it's not about knowing stuff, it's about whether you believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, you can know that you should feed your kid at certain times, but if your belief system doesn't fit into that world, then you're not going to do it. And that's why I think I really wanted to talk about this, because I don't think that people really understand about their beliefs, because like you say, they can know something consciously. Therefore, mm. they probably don't believe, know that their beliefs are faulty are like faulty, that, yeah. because they don't even know that they're there or they exist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you know something academically, you yeah. don't, people don't realize that about themselves. So. Yeah, you could apply it to so many things. Like if someone's overweight and they just can't ever imagine themselves thin, but they don't. Mm. So in some cases, they might not believe that they can be mm-hmm. thin or they'll believe that the price they pay for being thin will be heavier than, than forget the pun there, than if they stayed fat. You'd never make a pun on purpose. No. <laughs> it's not your type. Well, you, you're not able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Oh. <laughs> also... What was I found quite interesting when I was doing a bit of reading about this was, um, I suppose, finding out what your own beliefs are. And no one knows, well, we should know ourselves well, but we can bullshit other people, but we really shouldn't bullshit ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we should really find out, because actually you were saying to me earlier, a lot of people have vices or addictions, etc. Mm-hmm. And actually, how are you ever going to change that if you don't admit that you have that as well so you should really get to know that about yourself I think so I think when we talk about vices you're t- we're talking about habits mm-hmm. and I think we might have discussed this before but mm-hmm. whenever you have a have a habit it's easy for us to say good and bad habits but we have to think about what the person is getting out of that habit so when people tell someone to stop smoking they forget the fact that the person is getting something out of smoking um, whether it's to calm them down or make them feel less stressed and to change that habit, they have to find something else that fulfills that role that's giving that the smoking is giving them. So, so not necessarily beliefs, but there is beliefs underlying that that they yeah. think that smoke. For example, smoking is a good example actually of this because we know that nicotine doesn't actually calm you down. Um, so it's purely placebo, psychological effect of them thinking the smoking is helping them relax because nicotine itself causes both sympathetic and parasympathetic response in the ganglions so it kind of just messes you up and yet people feel so much calmer when they smoke and that is just their belief about the smoking that they've been drilled into them since they were younger or whenever they started smoking in terms of if you were to give some advice about to people about beliefs and how they could apply this to their life what would you say i'd say beliefs are a vehicle in that what you believe will get you somewhere and that place might not be where you want to go or it might only get you part of the way and there's nothing wrong with adopting a belief to get to a certain place and then mm. changing that belief to get to somewhere else mm-hmm. like we i could speak about religion it is a vehicle for many people for contentment and happiness because you know there's lots of things associated with religion it gives you a deeper meaning it gives you something to look forward to it's community and it takes away the unknown you know there's lots of reasons for that to have that belief and that vehicle it serves a purpose now you may have a vehicle let's say that you you feel worthy of love that's a vehicle to 
maybe there's the vehicle going the wrong direction, but it can give you some sense of importance in the sense that you're different to someone else. You know, you're you're unique in a way. It's not a good good vehicle. It's not really going to get you to where you want to go in the end, but it is a vehicle to somewhere. And what I would say, the advice I would give is identify the vehicle and where it can take you mm. and be conscious about the, about what is the limits of that vehicle, how far can it really go and whether it's going in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, try and mould your beliefs so that they take you in the right direction. Yeah, we have so much more control over our lives than we actually realize in that we can choose our beliefs they are hard to change Mm -hmm. but if we change them then that completely changes our reality yeah it does the only reality that really matters is your own so if you believe something is possible in your reality then well then it is yeah well your your chances of success rise massively if you believe in something let's say you believed you could succeed in making this podcast Mm -hmm. you're chances of succeeding would massively rise, mm-hmm. like more than 100% easily, mm-hmm. compared to if you had the opposite belief. And whether it's true or not, isn't it doesn't really matter because... Well, what is true anyway? Exactly. Because there's kind of a real truth, but what is a real tr- truth? There is no versus, real truth. Exactly. Yeah. Or there's my truth, but actually your own, like let's say my truth, use the example, I'm not worthy of love. How can that really be true it's just well no belief is true or false mm. just within the reality we live in we can believe one more than other we can have some confidence in the belief that gravity exists like there's probably a high probability and we should try and keep our beliefs rooted in reality mm-hmm. ideally so that when you make a prediction it's accurate so you can predict the outcome the whole point of having a belief that's more centered in reality is so you can predict the outcome better but in certain things, it can be fine to be a little bit delusional. For example, let's say you wanted to be, you know, a world-famous musician. You need to have some sort of delusion, I would say, to start off with, mm-hmm. to put in the time and, and the belief. Mm-hmm. And you actually don't know whether that's going to be true or not. Absolutely. So it, it might seem delusional at the start, mm. but by the time you're done, it's completely within your reality. Mm-hmm. So I just want to go back to something that you said a little earlier about gravity and just weave in well, there's a growing movement, uh, Flat Earthers. And I watched a documentary on it, actually, and I found it really interesting, just kind of analysing their beliefs, particularly the scientists. So what I found interesting was that these are clearly smart people. So they were able to design those experiments to put their beliefs to the test. But I think their flaw or where they were going wrong, and and where a lot of people go wrong, it's not just isolated to them, is that they start off with the belief, and then they look for evidence to prove that belief. But they don't look for evidence to oppose it. And I think that's what a lot of us do. I mean, biases certainly come into that. Say, for example, you're on Facebook, and you like a page that's representative of your belief. Let's say a political one. Let's say you're a lefty. Well, then other things due to the algorithms on Facebook, are going to pop up and you're going to have increased exposure to the same type of belief that supports what you already think or think you know. And there's actually not going to be things that pop up that oppose your belief. So yeah, so you're talking about confirmation bias there. Yeah. And yeah, beliefs are an interesting thing because you can't essentially 
have any belief you want if you imagine it as though it's a tabletop and you prop the tabletop up by looking for evidence to hold that belief up. So if you had a belief, for example, that you are, well, let's let's say, imagine the world is flat. Let's, let's say we had a belief that the world was flat, like the flat earthers do. Then you are looking for a way to prop up that table or the tabletop, essentially, with some sort of legs and looking for legs which will not hold it up you're looking up for legs which will hold up that tabletop mm-hmm. so you can put something on top of that mm-hmm. and we do that with lots of things not just with you know radical thoughts like whether the world is flat or round even though that was proven 2000 years ago probably yeah. longer but also beliefs about ourselves beliefs about our relationships okay. beliefs about what we're capable of and what the world looks like so uh, we can talk a bit about biases this kind of goes into beliefs. It uh, does. Something I'm quite interested in, actually, myself. I will definitely talk about that on another podcast as to why you're so interested in Oh, okay. Bias. I've got a title for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Don't What's the title? <laughs> What's the title of this podcast, beliefs. then? Beliefs. I mean, in terms of biases, it, it does weave into to this, though. Um, another thing that kind of the Dunning-Kruger effect as well. So Remind me what that is. You don't know what you don't know. Is that the Dunning-Kruger effect? Yes. Okay. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the unknown unknowns, you mean? The unknown, well, yeah, because you have your known knowns, mm-hmm. your known unknowns. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a, like a, a solid example of, of what you mean? What? You don't know what you don't know? Yeah. I mean, how could I when I don't know what I don't know? No, but like a time in the past where you've experienced that. Um, and when you found out Plenty of time something... in my job. But yeah. Plenty of times in my job. So, yeah. say for example, a very, I'm not a doctor, but mm-hmm. I work on an acute stroke ward. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say I'm liaising with a doctor regarding um, feeding tube insertion. So, a big part of what, well, so my part of my job as a speech and language therapist is to conduct swallow assessments. People probably don't know that because it's not in the job title, but that's actually a large part of my job, particularly on an acute stroke ward. So, Obviously, that affects someone's medical status. If someone can't swallow, then they may choke or pass small bits of food and drink into their lungs, which could cause a chest infection. So um, those swallowing difficulties can improve, particularly after a stroke. So we can offer feeding tubes either down the nose, which is temporary, or into the stomach. Now, I may think that someone is appropriate for a feeding tube. Mm Mm-hmm. But there may be medical contraindications that I am not aware of because I'm not a doctor. So I can look at the patient as best I can and be as holistic with my current knowledge that I have as possible. But say, for example, I had a patient the other day where ideally I wanted an NG tube, but I didn't think that uh, the consultant would agree. So I knew that this patient wasn't drinking enough. So I thought, well, the lesser... I'll, I'll negotiate, I'll go in low um, because I didn't think I'd get anything. And I asked for IV fluids, but they're completely inappropriate, apparently. <laughs> Risk of overload, etc. So I didn't know that. I didn't know yes, that I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, that's happened to me lots of times as well, mm. where I would treat a patient in a particular way and then I'd get a specialist opinion and it would be telling me the exact opposite of what I thought initially. Mm. Because there was so much information that I mm-hmm. didn't know I didn't know. Yeah. And you could say that's essentially knowledge which is 
implicit and mm -hmm. you can't read in a textbook some of the time. Yes. Uh, that applies to the real world as well. We have, which we get taught in school and by our parents or whatever. But there's lots of little things which we have to learn how to navigate and that comes with experience. And those are little things that are unknown unknowns and people yeah. generally don't make them explicit mm -hmm. until you experience them. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example, but that's happened many times before. Also, um, I feel like, as well, sometimes the more you learn about a topic, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. So it's, I think it's called the imposter effect. Mm. And I think it's as you get so much, probably um, as you're considered more of an expert in the topic. So let's say in the general population, I'd be an expert in communication and swallowing. I'm not an expert in my field. But I'm an expert in terms of the general population. But mm. the more I learn about it, the more I realise I don't know. Well, that's like when you were 16 and you thought you knew everything, mm. right? Um, and, you, and you thought your parents were stupid. And, and they say a little bit of knowledge is dangerous. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yes, absolutely. because you think you've worked it out. Yeah. You think you know how the world works. And yeah. that, that's happened to me when I was a teenager mm -hmm. as well. I think um, everyone can relate to that. And things only become clear in hindsight, really. And we'll probably feel the same in a few years about how we are now. Yeah, thinking we've figured it out and realised that actually we haven't got anything figured out and, and uh, we'll figure it out, actually. I think the best way to deal with that is knowing, just being aware of it, mm. that no one has their shit together. No one has it figured out. No. Remember when you were young? I remember when I was young and I used to think grown-ups knew everything. Yeah, I mean, we all thought that. I used to yeah. think my parents had everything together, knew what they were doing, and, mm. and you know, they had whatever options they wanted to do, they could have done. But that's not true at all. So. Only as you age, you realise people don't. Mm. That's normal. When you're younger, I mean, this goes into the beliefs that that's what we're talking about. You have more beliefs towards anything is possible. And I think as you age, people tend to narrow and limit their options of what's possible because <laughs> they base themselves off oh if i haven't done this in the last five years then what are the chances of me doing it in the next five years and i think they forget that if you change your beliefs your life could literally change in an instant let's use music as an example let's say i believed that i was the best musician in the world just at this instant mm -hmm. and i truly believed that down to my core not not like a, some people believe things but only superficially yeah and uh, they don't really mean it but let's say I believed that to the core and I was willing to put in the hours to mm -hmm. become actually good at something. So mm -hmm. let's say I was I was a pretty good musician, like from a standpoint of technically, I'm pretty good. Like not the best in the world, but pretty good. But let's say I had the belief that I was the shit, the, the best on the planet. I would find it very easy to sell myself. Mm. I would see it as though it was an insult to the world if I didn't spread my music. So I would be willing to to approach the music companies and the record labels and the radio stations until one of them gave me a shot because I would have the belief that mm. if they didn't do it, they'd be missing out. Mm -hmm. um, and I, if I truly believe that to my core, my success would be almost guaranteed. Yeah. Because maybe if you've got, let's say you've got a one in a thousand chance of being a successful musician or at least getting your music played. Uh, if you do it a thousand times, then your chances are essentially mm -hmm. near to a hundred percent. So I think that applies to most things in life and how powerful beliefs can really be. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at kind of pop stars that have made it, they're not always the most talented. No, I, I don't think talent is the 
no. is the requirement. If you look at the journeys of, let's say, like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera or whatever, oh my God, that's a throwback to MTV in like 2000. But you just see... I mean, they were part of the was... Disney Music Club or whatever it's called. So but, they did have a channel. Yes, but so. they persevered to even get onto that. Let's say, well, just take, for example, pop stars that aren't so talented. Ah, oh, Christina Aguilera, she's not bad, to be fair. But they just, it was, nothing else was an option. Mm. And they just went to audition after audition after audition. Mm -hmm. So by law of averages, they're just massively, like you said, increasing the chance. Yeah. If you don't have that belief, then, well, it's high, well, it's never going to happen, is it? Well, it, it could happen. It's it just you'd be, you'd be fighting yourself every turn. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's still possible, but you're just making your life a bit harder. Mm. And I was having this discussion with you earlier about it's obviously good to be wildly optimistic, but things that are hard, you also have to be wildly pessimistic in that you should have one foot in reality. Mm. In that, let's say we use the music example. Let's say I thought I was the best musician in the world, and I wasn't, didn't put in the time to become actually technically quite good. So you'd probably see this on X Factor or whatever music show they have nowadays, where you'll have the gag acts, essentially, where they come on and they've got this massive sense of self-belief, mm -hmm. thinking they're the shit. And, mm -hmm. you know, all their friends have told them that they're amazing musicians, probably just to stitch them up. And uh, they turn up and they're completely off. They're just dreadful in every way. And, I mean, it makes great TV, mm. but that is a false belief in that maybe their mum told, told them that they were the best. Mm. And they took it to heart, which is a good thing because... I mean, they're still on the, the stage. That's better than someone who didn't have the belief to even go on stage. Absolutely. But they didn't have the technical ability to keep up. So they've got one side of the equation in that they're very optimistic, but they're missing out the, the, the pessimism required to actually get good at something. Okay. So you feel like if they had the pessimism, then they would actually be able to recognize Where their lack of talent exactly. and therefore work on it. Yeah. Okay. Or pick something where they have talent and then they can... I see. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Essentially, they've made a poor decision there. Mm. To not go on the show, they should definitely go on the show. Mm. But they've made a poor decision in the sense that they're not particularly good at that field. So they shouldn't be wildly optimistic about it. And I would also say that, obviously, if you're wildly optimistic, you're more willing to put in the work. Mm. But in their case, I would say they haven't put in the work yet mm -hmm. and they're wildly optimistic. So... Mm. You have to have both sides of the equation. Singing's a difficult one because you can work on it so far, but, I mean, this could apply to many things. You can only work on singing so far, can't you, really? Mm, I disagree with that. Really? I, I think. So the, have you read the book Bounce? A bit of it. I'm aware of it. Oh, yeah. but that's, that's, yes. So, I mean, you can say it. I know too, but you can Yeah, so that it. book is, is written, written by Matthew Said, and he was a professional table tennis player and he did a study on his kids to, an experiment i guess to see whether talent was something you're born with or mm -hmm. something that can be trained mm -hmm. through the 10,000 hour rule or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it he picked something where natural inclinations wouldn't have as much effect so he didn't pick a sport because he was a pro athlete mm -hmm. you could say so he thought maybe that would be seen as giving his kids an edge sure so they would discount any wins they had because yeah. of him yeah so he picked something that he's never been mm -hmm. good at and he ended up picking chess mm. now he had two daughters as well and there wasn't any female champions in chess actually at that time anyway long story short by applying the 10,000 hour rule 
and putting the hours in, they both became champions, mm. world champions. Mm -hmm. And so he proved his theory in that if you put in the hours, you can become the best at something. Mm -hmm. Now, for certain things like music, mm. you have to start really early mm -hmm. in that a lot of kids who become musicians have put in the 10,000 hours by yeah. the time they're maybe 10 years old. Yeah. And prodigies in mathematics are usually put in the 10,000 hours by the time they're 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So people think, oh, that kid was born with it. Mm -hmm. But actually, they've just put in the hours he himself actually had put in because his brother and him used to play table tennis all the time when he was a kid since a really young age. So he'd put in 10,000 hours mm -hmm. before people had put in even 10 hours. Mm -hmm. So so obviously to everyone else, he seemed like a prodigy. Mm -hmm. But he'd just seen so much more than anyone else in that field. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies to music as well. If you've been training your voice, obviously if you've been genetically had some issue in that your voice is completely awful, sure. then you might not get to the peak. But let's say you're an average person, but you had those 10,000 hours of training and it's not just on the vocals, like being a pop musician isn't just the vocals part, it's the everything else surrounding it. Because you, you said earlier that there's lots of musicians which aren't the best singers mm -hmm. who are world leading. And part of that is being able to be confident on stage and being a good dancer or whatever and having the contacts and all that things. And that is putting in the hours early. So might be a bit of a digression, but um, you mentioned that obviously his two daughters were children and he was mm -hmm. a child. And there is something called neuroplasticity. Do you feel like, have they looked into the 10,000 hour rule where you apply it to adults? It who, applies all the time. It's it applies just, all the time. It's just harder to put in 10,000 hours when you're an adult. Sure. but In you... that people don't have as much free time to put in 10,000 hours of mm -hmm. playing table tennis. Mm -hmm. But when you're a kid, you've got nothing else to do but to play table tennis with your brother. So you can rack those hours up in a couple of years, like, mm -hmm. like even a year if you really wanted to kind of thing. I suppose though, if you do it as a child, your brain is more malleable. It is also more malleable, that's true. Due to that? neuroplasticity. So uh, but maybe we've proven that there's it. neuroplasticity at any age. Really, there so. is, there is. That's true, but more so, so as a, limiting, a child. Like, people probably use that as a limiting belief if you, if you say that. Sure, um, sorry I, for fueling that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think anyone can achieve a lot. Mm -hmm. Obviously, let's say I wanted to become a pro footballer. Mm -hmm. I've kind of missed the boat in that. By the time I put in the ten thousand hours of deliberate practice, I don't yes. mean I don't mean ten thousand hours kicking a ball around in my garden. Mm -hmm. And if I did ten thousand hours of training, then I could be pretty damn good. Yeah. But I've kind of missed the boat in the terms of my athleticism is more likely to be tailing off at this point as yeah. opposed to be rising up. And let's say I wanted to go on the big stage. Mm by the time I've put in the 10,000 hours, mm -hmm. everyone else has already put in, who's in that stage, at mm -hmm. least 50, 60,000 hours. Yeah. So the chances of me catching up are slim to none. Mm. And yeah, I mean, what you're saying makes sense, just so that people who are listening know. I mean, there are a few examples where maybe this doesn't wholly apply in that, I suppose, men's 100 meters in the Olympics, there needs to be some sort of physical... Yeah. But to an extent. That's but, a very narrow field. Though. Of course. It's literally but, running in a straight line. Absolutely. Yeah. But there may be other examples. So it's mm. not to deny that there aren't very few examples. But actually, it should be quite a comforting thought that aptitude has less to do with yeah. success than one might think it yeah. does. Like, obviously, the men's 100 meters, mm -hmm. I'd say genetics will play a part. Sure. Um, but. I would also say you could get to a very high level sure. without your genetics mm. necessarily being, you don't necessarily need to be Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. You could be one of the other competitors and you could probably still be racing there if you'd put in the hours. Absolutely. Now, obviously, if you have a leg which is not built for running, 
in any like you've had a broken leg or something and now the muscles are all messed up mm-hmm. or you've got a nerve conduction problem then yeah you're not going to be running the 100 sure. meters race at the olympics sure but outside of that if you'd put in the hours and you hadn't gained any major injury and you mm. were training well i would say you'd get at least pretty far mm-hmm. yeah i just thought it was worth mentioning in order to acknowledge that because yeah. people may listen to that this and try and because of their limiting beliefs mm-hmm. counteract your argument with with that in their minds yeah so it's not that we're not acknowledging that also as there's, well there's epigenetics as well which yes that's really interesting and uh, you could do you know much about that a little very rudimentary um knowledge i probably wouldn't be the best to introduce it but obviously everyone thought that our genes were our genes and they were that's they were fixed exactly and that and that's just what you had and obviously there's conditioning as well but they didn't think that your conditioning could impact your genes i suppose they thought they were separate whereas there's a new growing area of science called epigenetics where i've heard it before described like a switch but i'm not i don't know if that's the best analogy yeah so it can kind of change your genetics so for example so gene if, expression i think is gene expression is okay I would say genetically, we all have very similar genes and that we also have very similar genes to a carrot. Yes. So what's the percentage? It's crazy. I, it's I heard crazy. this on I QI. Think like, I think it's like 90%. 90 odd percent. So we're 90% is. a carrot. Yeah. But the difference is the genes we express. Yeah. Yeah. So as humans, we express different genes to the carrot in that we have similar genes, but the ones that are... So genes are used to produce proteins, let's mm. say. And so the carrot produces more of one protein and the other one's switched off. Mm. Whilst for us, we produce the other protein and the carrot's protein one is switched off. Mm. Um, so that's called expression of the gene, essentially. Sure. In that, so we have the information coded into the, the chromosomes, mm-hmm. into our DNA, but we only produce certain parts of it. So out of the factory, that is the DNA, we only have some of the stations open mm-hmm. and the carrot has other stations open. And that presents itself differently in that the stations that are open for us and are producing that protein. So imagine a, a row of like factories mm. within well, that is the DNA. So there's a bunch of different factories making different things. And for the carrot, there some of the factories are switched on and some of them are switched off. Right? Let's say every even factory is switched on for the carrot. Whilst this is a really simple example. Yeah. Whilst for humans, every odd factory is switched on. Okay. And so that expresses itself as differently, as in the carrot becomes looks like a carrot and. Yep taste like a carrot mm-hmm. whilst for us we look and taste like human beings mm-hmm. now the field of epigenetics from what i understand is that those factories aren't always on and off on on or off even like it's not always the even ones are on it's not always the odd ones are on if you're a carrot or a, or a human mm. in that especially for human beings the factories so between themselves also switch on and off so let's say we have every odd factory yeah some of them will be switched on and some of them will be switched off for different people. Yeah. Well, and our beliefs and our conditioning and our environment changes which factory is switched on and which is switched off. Mm, okay. Yeah, so if we just try and describe it in practical terms, let's say, let's say a woman, her parents are slim, okay? Mm-hmm. She was slim, but then she starts eating badly. Mm-hmm. She gets pregnant and she has a baby. Yeah. Can that change the child's genes because let's yeah, say can. because for example you'd think well her genes her parents were slim she was slim but let's say she started eating badly and she put on weight so then she became overweight okay and then she got pregnant and she had a child 
So I'd say the child has probably the good genes from from the parents. Yeah. But it might be expressing the wrong genes because it's been in a bad environment. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not just about... And now, obviously, say, for example, she just fed the child good food. Mm -hmm. Then, obviously, that can counteract that. But people have a bit of a genetic predisposition to being overweight. There is some genetic predispositions. Um, I mean, you can just look outside and you can see that. Mm. Some people are fatter than others, if, mm. even if they eat the same stuff. Now, obviously, you can damage your metabolism. Exactly. And there's lots of other things going on. I it's, remember it's too you, complex to really go into. You're telling me that actually once you have fat cells, they're never, even if you lose weight, those fat cells are never fully destroyed. They reduce down significantly, yeah. but they're never fully That's true. They only multiply. They never reduce in number. And, I mean, they do shrink. Yes. So hopefully, they'll, they'll just completely flatten out. Mm. But, yeah, so it's, if you make your kid fat from a young age... Yeah you're kind of screwing them over because yeah. they're not going to lose those fat cells. Yeah, They might shrink the fat cells, but you've, you're setting them up for failure, essentially. Yeah. And also you're setting them up for habits that will force them for the rest of their life. Exactly. Um, yeah. And in terms of epigenetics, I mean, I'm no expert on epigenetics. Mm. But let's say you could use the example of mothers that take drugs when they've got a child. Their child can grow up with these dependencies on the same drug. Yes. And that's not necessarily a genetic thing. That's mm. more of a men. That's more of the brain being stimulated by that drug. Yeah. Would affect your genes as well in mm. the sense that if you were smoking and you had a baby and you, where you were pregnant, you'd obviously be expressing genes differently to someone who's not smoking when they're pregnant, and the kid would therefore express different genes as well because you've got a noxious stimulant in there that's affecting the system, and so you're going to express genes to try and help the body stay alive longer. But mm. that's because it's being damaged, and that will probably damage yourself and the baby long term yeah it's fascinating epigenetics it's just really changed the way what are they thinking about any ways that it could be used do you know i don't know enough about it no me neither it's not my, not my field for another time yeah anyway we kind of digressed but that's okay just to round things off is there any in terms of beliefs so thinking about who's listening what advice would you give someone or people in order to help with limiting beliefs? Because everyone has, most people have limiting, have limiting beliefs. beliefs. I guess what you could say is be more childlike. Yes. That's probably the best advice I could give. I in agree. That just because you're older doesn't mean less, there's less possibilities. Because if you think about a child when you were a kid, think about how like imaginative you were. You touched on it earlier. Also, they're just... I really enjoy kids because they never really get embarrassed. Mm. So, like, if you think about a child learning to Until walk, they reach a certain age. Until they, they reach a certain age. They have very little ego until a certain age. Absolutely, which is amazing. Um, we can actually learn a lot from them, and we should endeavor to be more like children. Like similar a, to really old people, where they also mm, don't have much of an ego. Mm. Because, I mean, they've had most of their ego destroyed by that age. That's true. Because they no longer see themselves the way they did when they were trying to protect their self-image. Yeah, which is more freeing because a lot of how what we what we do is based on self-image yeah yeah unfortunately but yeah so to be more childlike kind of just go into that further yeah so a lot of things are still possible even if you're at the ripe old age of 70 Mm. even though 70 is not that old nowadays you might still have another 30 years to to do whatever you want and that those 30 years don't necessarily need to be the same as the last 70 years Mm -hmm. they can be Anything you want, essentially. Anything you want, exactly. Um, 
you don't but have to conform to the status quo. I think we, I think I heard something. I think you might have played it earlier about how reality isn't created outside of biology, but mm. we create the reality that we are in. Mm. And beliefs play a big part in that. And I had this discussion with you before where I was saying that if I truly believed I could fly, yeah, I technically would be flying in my reality. In your reality, and exactly. My reality is the only reality I really care about. Absolutely, to be honest. it's the only one um, you can experience. Yeah, so I'm happy to think that. So absolutely. If you want to be an astronaut in seventy, I mean, I don't know if that's really possible, but maybe there is. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Go for it. Because mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing left for you is to sit around if you don't absolutely mm. and maybe the endeavor in itself could be yeah there's lots of things of that, i mean most of life is about the endeavor because mm -hmm. we all end up in the same place yeah but i think we don't because well, no, we're always waiting really... for this amazing future aren't we yeah you can't really arrive at death, death safely unfortunately so i mean there's no point arriving there safely because you're still gonna die so on that optimistic note yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i could talk to you for hours as you know yeah but i'm going to round things off so thanks so much for spending your valuable time oh, to, talk to, to talk to me um until the next time mm -hmm.